Frequency friends and polarity pals. Visualize the lines of force. Warm up your tea using electromagnetic conduction. And I'm afraid you'll have to repeat yourself. I couldn't hear what you said. <laughs> because it's time to talk to Ultimi. It's <laughs> an electricity joke. Oh, I got it, yeah. What? I can't think of anything for volt. No, there's nothing funny about electricity. There was revolting. Oh, that was good. There it is. Um, hello. I am Omen Thomas Said. <laughs> and I am Nick McGill. Together, we are the Feckless Moans. And this is Brilliantly Lit Against the Night Sky Talk Told to Me. A meter reading in the prog rock power station in which Neutron Nick and Ohm Omen... It's the unit for measuring resistance to the flow of electricity. Omen. We'll electrocute ourselves by sticking our fingers into the exposed wiring of every single track that high-voltage rock band Jethro Tull has ever assembled. We will generate sparks using Martin Barr's Bendix Drive. We will reverse the polarity of David Pegg. And we will increase efficiency by installing a Doan Perry diode. And if we cycle the current and avoid blowing a flute fuse, we may be able to divert the Anderson Amperage to a Scottish Sprague clutch, ignite the spark plug sporin, and get the tall tachometer into the red zone. Did you say Bendix Drive? What did you say? Yeah, Bendix Drive. Like possessive of Bendix? No, no, just oh, okay. uh, just Bendix, uh, B-E-N-D-I-X. It's a, it's a type oh, okay. of a flywheel that uses inertia. Oh, cool. I just thought the only other time I've heard the name Bendik is you have a friend named Bendik. I know, but this is a different this is a different form of that name. It's a declension. It's Bendik, Bendix, Bendices, Bendopolis. I've been declension all day. Bendicitis. <laughs> Nick, <laughs> hello and welcome back to the podcast. It's been a moment uh, since we recorded, and it is lovely to see the top of your head. Here I am. Look at my gray hair. We are good to go. <laughs> and today, we are talking about a song that we have sampled on the podcast a number of times. Plenty of times, yeah. We are talking about Jump Start. Jump Start, track number three off of Crest of a Knave, 1987's classic that everybody loves, right? Everybody? Yes, everybody loves we it. love it. We love Yay. it. Play it more. Do play more. The, play the song. Do it twice. I think okay. they want us to play okay. the song, Nick. Calm down, everybody. Yeah, okay. So I guess we'll just jump right into the song. Jump start our listening experience. Here we go. Nick, that was jump start. Goodness. Hook me up to a battery, and, and uh, I'm fully charged and ready to go. Actually, there are some pretty specific rules about hooking people up to batteries these days. Geneva Convention kind of poo-pooed that, yeah, didn't they? Yeah, they, they don't like anything fun. <laughs> that song is spectacular. What a zipper. Yeah. It is a bop. It's a romp. It's a roll. Let's break it down. Time signature. Any guesses? 4-4. Four, four. Oh, you got it. You get a biscuit. Thank you. Oh, sprinkles. It's a dog biscuit, but, it, you know, hey, no, it still counts. If it's good for them, it's good for me. That's right. The thing that I love about this song is that it is representative of the album in some ways, mm. in the sense that it jackknifes you between and sometimes contains both elements of hard and soft. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think we kind of, we're kind of seeing like a, a descent into some softer songs now at this point. And this one, this one has both elements. I mean, particularly the next song, which is, she said she was a dancer, you know, it's yeah, super yeah, yeah. slow and soft and nice. Mm -hmm. But this one, this one, you're right, does have those two aspects. It's kind of like bridging us into that. Oh, I love that. Yes. It's, it's making a walkway. Yeah. A bridge almost, if you will, if you can imagine saying such a thing. I, I mean, I considered it. <laughs> uh -huh. I considered it out loud. <laughs> Right off the bat, we have that beautiful acoustic work. If Ian wasn't the frontman of a prog band, he could easily have just been a studio acoustic guitarist. He's that good. He's so darn good. It's such a treat to hear his acoustic. Especially at this point. Like, that is some incredible stuff. Should we just listen to it one more time, that intro? Definitely, yeah. <laughs> 
it's straightforward and it gets a little bit more complex when we get into the verse but it's it's just so it's so expressive and it's got so much going on in it that it sets a rich floor for the song yeah there's there's a lot of character to it it's not the it's not the plinky plucky that we're used to particularly when it comes to Ian and his acoustic it's it's very strummy which is kind of more on the rare side but it's still darn good it's great it's captivating even within the strums he'll do chord jump up a down oh sure yeah you know he's walking it in between the chords and it's in several places where it's it's delightful and then we have the flute at the same time mm-hmm. the flute for me the way that he's playing the flute in this song is pretty remarkable what a good flute song i feel like it's been some time since we've had such a like a fluteful song it's so meaty and substantial yeah and the specific technique that he's using to play the flute on this song is interesting because it is, a lot of it is almost unvoiced. That's a, the wrong term to say, but he's he's using a lot of the percussive quality of the flute where he is, he's creating a note, but what you hear is more the air than the note. Yeah, and he does get into the... The breathing with the voice as well at certain points too. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, in some like really soft moments and it's it's fun. It's really refreshing to hear him really play with the flute again. It's cool and and the fact that it has that breathy percussive quality works so well in the song. And then he brings it to that more melodious, you know, more standard technique for the flute playing. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the way you're taught to play the flute is to not hear any of the air going across. You just want to hear the tone. Right. And he's throwing that out the window with that. It's almost like scatting. How much do you think this is just the fact that it's like crazy hectic rock flute and the fact that like he made a conscious decision you know could that be played without hearing any of the breath with how like manic absolutely. it is you know yeah it can okay absolutely he has the technique to do that he could have gone he could do that without hearing that there's yeah. even a human being attached to it okay flutatron flutron yeah yeah he could make that sound but he's chosen to make us hear the air whistling across a hole. Yeah, it makes it raw and it adds to the the spiciness of the song. If you blast enough air across your hole, it will be raw. It will be raw and spicy. And <laughs> spicy. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, starting at about 30, we get the bass coming in and I think the drums come in right around there too. Uh-huh. Bass is really nice. I never really noticed the bass before, but it's it's in there. It's nice. Peggy feels very alive. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. It's good to hear Peggy back kind of reinvigorated. Yes, it is. Fun note about David Pegg and this period of time with Tull. In the tour that happened subsequent to this album's release, of course, they toured with the material. And David Pegg was actually doing double duty because the opening act for a lot of the concerts was Fairport Convention. Oh my gosh. So (laughs) David Peck would go on and play an entire set with Fairport, presumably go and change his hat, (laughs) come back and play a full set with Jethro Tull. He must have been exhausted. I mean, imagine. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty nuts. That's how much Dave Pegg loves the bass. You literally cannot get him to stop playing it. No. No, you just unplug the bass, but he keeps going. Speaking of Fairport Convention, drums, you mentioned drums. That's right. This is the first appearance on this album of... This is Jerry Conway. We had Drumatron number one, Doan number two. Now we've got Jerry, who will play the bulk of the tracks, the rest of the tracks. Yes. But yeah, this is this is our first instance. We had one, two, three, which is nice. And he comes from a long pedigree of rock, folk background. He started out with Fathering Gay in the 70s mm-hmm. and also for Eclection. He also worked with Steel Eyed Span. Cat Stevens in the backup band. Wow. Fairport Convention, Tall, obviously. He worked as a session musician in later years. Also played with Pentangle, 
which is a band that he that he works in with his wife, who's the, the lead vocalist, Jackie McShee. Ian's voice in this, great. You'd never think he went through a, a, a bit of a scare with the, the old throat damage there. No, but you can tell that a lot of these songs are written down. Yes. In a different key, which is, yeah. you know, obviously intentional, mm-hmm. you know, so they, they can avoid canceling any tour dates but also it sounds amazing i I mean i just love the sound of it it's great and he does get kind of high in here too it's not the crash test dummies like he he still gets up there Uh, martin is playing the guitar in several different ways it's like when a chef produces scallop four ways (laughs) <laughs> guitar four ways guitar four ways we have the we have these brilliant slides it's at the end of one of the lines we hear that that lovely slide up there he's also playing a lot on the full you know heavy metal quote-unquote setting with the overdrive blasting and apparently this is an album where martin had more artistic license than other albums he certainly had a last album so this is from the a passion play the story of ian anderson and jethro tull by brian rabby a book which we've referenced a number of times mm-hmm. on crest of a knave bar says that's the album where a lot of things were my invention there are still chunks of the music where ian very much knew what he wanted but i think my input was far greater on that album than any other album wow yeah huh kind of inspires me to listen with new ears then i think and to your point, he also says, on Under Wraps, I co-wrote a couple of songs with Peter Vitesse and put the lyrics on. So that's the nearest I've come to writing a song for Jethro Tull. Yeah. This was obviously pre-Hot Mango Flush. Yes. Is that a Martin Barr song? Yeah, I think he wrote that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I love that song. I can't wait to talk about it. <laughs> it is kind of the bastard child. Not, not many people like that song. Going back and forth between the slide technique Ian's acoustic guitar, Martin's heavy rock guitar, and even the different flute techniques that are being used, the drums coming in and out, we get that sense of the darker mystery moments and then coming out with with these flashes of, of light. Mm-hmm. There's some great instances of unison between the guitar and the flute. This is also a song where we get the woos, no? Yep, I've got that, and it's it's that last minute. It's it's after the slowdown, and it picks back up and just cycles through a couple of uh-huh. times. It's about a minute long. It's uh, woo, woo, right? Woo, yeah, yeah. It's really fun. Fun. It's peppy. It's cute. Yeah. Anything else to say about the music of this song? Nope, that is it for me. Those woos are right at the end. It's great. It's got a nice. Nice little button on the end. It's it's a nice little package. I like it. How long is this song? How many minutes? This is just under five. It is... Oh, wow. It's 4.52. Yeah. It really moves along. It does. I guess I would classify this as a longer song, but it doesn't feel like it no. at all. Especially on this album. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of them feel slightly lengthy, but aren't, you know, unless they're the ones that are, and then you're like, wow, this song. <laughs> yeah. It'd be interesting to see if there's a way to get the beats per minute, the average beats per minute of some of oh, these songs. I'm sure I could probably run it through something if I had any time. I was I, Speaking of running, I, I did my seven and a half kilometer run over the weekend. And I've been using music to pace myself to like literally mm. stay on a certain pace to try to keep a sure. consistent pace, if you will. I might. And what I've found is a good running pace for that distance is... Uh, 160 beats per minute which is really funny because 160 beats per minute at least the playlist that i was listening to that was assembled by spotify was up tempo white people songs and very down tempo brown people songs (laughs) it was like all of the rock songs were like yeah here we go we're so excited and it was like all of the slow hip-hop songs it's like beyonce's like ballad song that's very funny. I was cracking up as I was as I was going. I was like, "This is a bad pace. I need to change. I need to go slower or faster because I can't stand this." <laughs> that's that's hilarious. That's great. Shall we step into this alleyway? That sounds like a good idea. Yeah. Okay, great. You're only 
Oh, watch out. Watch out for the cats. It's dark back here. Yeah, I don't. I thought that lamppost was going to turn on, but I, I guess it hasn't yet. No, we should put in a request. Yes, I'm sure the city will honor that. So last week, I posited my theory on Jethro Tull music videos. Yes, you did. And your theory was that no member of the band except for Ian Anderson ever appears in a Jethro Tull music video. Based on literally the two music videos that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sweet Dream and Steel Monkey. Yeah. Like a day after somebody dropped in the Discord the music video for Lap of Luxury. Uh Uh-huh. And lo and behold, Babyface Martin is right in there. He and the rest of the band members are definitely a part of that. So my theory has been debunked. Great music video, by the way. I wish that we had seen it before we talked about the entire album, or at least that song, because it kind of recontextualizes that song in particular. It sort of casts Ian as a a con man mobster type who's just recently gotten out of jail and is trying to find his way back into wealth by doing these illicit jobs. To get back into the lap of luxury. Yeah. Yep, wearing a, a wonderful double-breasted peak suit, peak collar suit. Uh, I'll, I mean, you're all adults. You know how to find things on YouTube. But I will put that link in the show notes if you want to check that out. Absolutely. Speaking of the visual format, I found a wonderful little quote from Ian, you know, from the same book. A passion play, the story of Ian Anderson and Jethro Tull by Brian Raby. Sit down, children. Johnny, get your fingers out of... Billy. (laughs) This is from an interview. Brian writes, At the suggestion of branching out into video with these sorts of visions in mind, it was a reference to kind of a, a mental image that Ian had, He responded, It's not the sort of area in which an artist would have tangible, direct control of what is going on. I can go into the studio with my equipment, and I don't need an engineer, producer, or tape operator. Just me. (laughs) The tape recorder and the equipment in between. I can operate that while sitting in front of a microphone playing an instrument. It only takes one hand. What I can't do is be in front of and behind a camera at the same time. The old arms are not that long, and the equipment is not yet designed to be programmable and operable so that the operator is also the performer. It's possible that in a few years we might have some programmable cameras which would pan and focus to a pre-programmed plan so that one could actually be in front of the camera and let the camera do all the work you programmed into it earlier. That may come about, but I think by the time it does, I will be far too ugly to want to appear on video. I mean, I love that quote so much because it's such an insight into the way that Ian thinks about recording. Yeah. And humanity. (laughs) And humanity. I mean, the idea that, yes, and now we do have those cameras. Yeah. Those things exist. You can tell the camera. I mean, it's not by pre-programming it. It's by saying here's the face that I want you to look at, follow the face. Mm-hmm. And it'll do that automatically. You even have cameras attached to drones, which you can put in follow mode and follow somebody around, or, you know, follow you around. But, you know, the idea that that's the ideal performance environment, <laughs> it's really funny to me. Literally no one else's input. Please let me just do it all on my own. Uh, the funny thing is that's, that's how Charlie Chaplin actually made films, not by pre-programming the camera, but by telling, I mean, the camera shots were a lot simpler that day. Mm-hmm. But he would tell the, com- the camera operator, we want this shot and then this shot and then this shot. And he had it all in his head and then could execute yeah. the performance. He directed his movies. He absolutely directed his movies. He directed himself. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Charlie Chaplin and Ian Anderson, same person. Kind of, in a way, cut from the same cloth. Fiercely independent, shrewd businessmen. Tiny mustache. Tiny mustache. Nick, anything else while we are here in this alleyway getting tetanus? I I think I smell urine. Not sure where it's coming from. I'm sorry about that, Master Nick. We couldn't stop on the highway on the way here. Oh, there. You, I, I was wondering when you'd catch up, Mary. Thank you. The cranberry juice has finally hit me system. <laughs> oh, dear God. Well, you're just in time. If you could hand me that email, please. You won't like what it's basted in. Oh, goodness. Sorry, Mary. If you just hold it up, I'll read it. Here, I'll light this match. Thank you. Okay. So this is a return writer inner. This is Folky Phil writing back in. Folky Phil. Folky Phil here again. He says, my dear Momes, 
As promised or threatened by me and encouraged by you, here's my interpretation of just what the heck the Tull song March the Mad Scientist is really about. Oh, finally. First of all, a little background. Long before March the Mad Scientist was an album bonus track, it was included on a splendid four-track EP along with Ring Out Solstice Bells, Pan Dance, and Christmas Song. That is where I first heard the song many moons ago, and a copy of the EP is now framed and displayed on my study wall. It's a favorite. The bundling of March the Mad Scientist with a couple of festive tunes gives a hint to it possibly being a seasonal song, and the lyrics even begin by asking what we all got for Christmas and if it was a new polarity. Hmm. So is this another of Ian Anderson's Christmas-inspired numbers? No! The season being celebrated is not Christmas, but rather spring. However, the story begins at the winter solstice when sunlight begins to slowly return toward the North Pole and away from the South Pole. This bipolar nature of the planet is, I believe, what Ian is referencing by a new polarity. We all get a new polarity every Christmas and every midsummer. Brits are used to winters that are dank and dark, not snowy and bright. It's understandable, therefore, that the winter solstice, later shifted a few days in the calendar and rebranded as Christmas, mm -hmm. and the climb thereafter toward the spring equinox have long been important events in the northern European calendar. When is the spring equinox? In March. Meteorological winter lasts from the beginning of December to the end of February, and March brings the start of spring. Nature doesn't stick rigidly to dates, so the actual coming of spring is a more gradual and annually varied process, of course, but after months of dark and cold, we are desperate to deal in higher figures. More light, more warmth, more that licks us with a hotter flame. After all, by then the shillings rarely are all spent, and it really is time to leave the bed. So in comes the month of March, and like a mad scientist experimenting with nature herself, he rings the changes. Up pops a carpet of spring flowers in ever-dancing colors. As Ian's fellow northern poet and star counter William Wordsworth observed in the work that marks his literary apogee, I wandered lonely as a cloud that floats on high o'er vales and hills, when all at once I saw a crowd, a host of golden daffodils. We just referenced that like a couple of episodes ago. In apogee. In apogee, yeah. Here's my jump start. I was born in a small town about 10 miles from Blackpool, and on the day of my birth, a band called The Blades was performing just a well-hefted stone's throw from my home. Wow. Between me and them was the railway track that led from Preston Platform to Summerday Sands, a journeyman that is available as a cheap day return. As I grew to become a teenager, the Blades grew to become Jethro Tull. Our paths did not cross until I, in classic Tull Skull style, investigated my much older brother's record collection and discovered a cassette of an album called Bursting Out. Hmm. My brother never did get that tape back. <laughs> then shortly after my 16th birthday, I discovered an amazing new album in the racks of Ray's Melody Inn, the evocatively named music store in my hometown. The album was Broadsword and the Beast. I saved up. I bought it, and I was pulled along in the slipstream of the greatest blues, prog, folk, jazz, classical, electronic rock band the world has ever seen. I've seen Tall live half a dozen times. When I was a music journalist, I had the privilege and challenge of twice interviewing Ian, and I also got to know Dave Pegg quite well, too, through Fairport Convention. It's been quite a ride. Kiss Mary and Marley for me. No tongues. Cheerio, Folky <laughs> Phil. I don't think I have enough shots. For the record, when you do kiss Mary or Marley, tongues, it's not optional. <laughs> it's, you, you don't get the choice. Folky Phil. Wow. Thank you for that really professionally academic breakdown of the song. I feel like you... So brilliant. What you wrote to us, you should send it to a dozen universities. I think you'll get an honorary master's out of it. We can't give you one. Yeah. But we really appreciate the insight. And I think that interpretation stands up. I think you're pretty spot on, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm just so tickled by it being March, the month, March, yeah, totally. the mad scientist. It's it's so tickling for some reason. And March, you know, they say March comes in like a lion and goes out like a lamb. It's a month of big change. And, mm -hmm. you know, a scientist affects change in their experiments. Absolutely. Fantastic. Thank you so much for breaking yeah. that down. Please continue to write into us with any interpretations of songs that you might have. Yeah, we accept and embrace them. Thank you. Thank you. Nick, I think that... That rat has fallen in love with my shoe, and it is time to go. Is that what that squeaking is? Yeah.
Uh, okay. I'm just gonna leave the shoe here. It's, yeah, it's it, yeah. It's, at this point, it's common law marriage. Here we are, second portion of the episode. Let's talk, if we can, meaning of this song. Jumpstart. Nick, this is a song that really snuck up on me today. Because when I saw on the schedule you were doing Jumpstart, I thought, oh, great. You know, it's a nice, simple one. And then I read the lyrics and I was like, oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. I may not know at all what this is about. Honestly, it doesn't feel like there's much jargon or or cultural difference that we're missing like it all makes sense but it doesn't make sense together you know not yet and at least not or not to us correct but let's break it down nick what is a jump start i know it's maybe a pedantic question but let's talk about it well i mean i'm assuming and it, it seems to be a part of the song because the reference to jump start or tow me away sure. a jump start is when your battery dies in your vehicle yep. and you can jump start it if it's not completely dead you can recharge the battery a little bit by charging it with another battery right you hook up another battery to it you send just enough power from the good battery into the dead battery which allows the dead battery to start the engine running mm-hmm. And then once the engine's running, it starts feeding electricity back into the battery. So it's it's yeah. kind of bringing something back to life. Or that term can be applied to the economy or other processes. We're going to jumpstart this process by infusing it with a with a bunch of energy at the start of it. Right. All coming back to that idea of jumpstarting the battery. Yeah. 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 This is an automotive term. Automotive term. And engineering. <laughs> this song... Sounds like a flirtatious, sexy song, right? That's what I always thought. Yes, yes. Won't you hook me up to the power lines of your love? Jump, start, or tow me away. What I, as a youth, always interpreted that to mean was... Just, hey, baby, you're the charge to my battery. Give me your heart and make it real or else forget about it. You know that song? Nope. Santana plays the guitar on it. Oh, yes. Rob Thomas and Santana. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it could be inspired by that. Yeah. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was always my, my interpretation. It was a love song saying, either let's do this or I'm dead. Tell me away into the junkyard of, of this relationship. The song is Smooth by Santana featuring Rob Thomas for the record. Very good. Thank you. Yes, that's what I'm here for. Yeah, but I mean, there's not only is he talking about Mrs. Maggie. First of all, Mrs. She's married. Mrs. Maggie, she, he's asking, he's imploring her to hook him up to the power lines of her love. Mm-hmm. But he also asks Mr. Policeman, Jack Ripper, and Mr. Weatherman to do all of that. Uh-huh. Is he just DTF here? Is this any port in a storm? Like, what's going on? Is this spring break? I I think that I think that in order to, to suss out the meaning behind this, I think we're going to have to dive into the imagery. Okay. So let's try to get our setting first. In the dark of the city backwoods, something stirs and slips away. In the dark of the city backwoods, something stirs and slips away. So the city backwoods is already a fantastic turn of phrase, juxtaposing an urban environment with a rural environment, but it kind of brings to mind the unmapped, uncivilized parts of the city. Yeah, it it also smacks of like concrete jungle. Right. Yeah. Law and order in darkest Knightsbridge. Crime and punishment at play. Law and order in darkest Knightsbridge. Crime and punishment at play. Now, that's another juxtaposition because Knightsbridge is a very fancy, well-to-do part of London right next to, to Hyde Park and Kensington Gardens. Okay. Where J.M. Barry famously played with the kids and invented the story of Peter Pan. So it's a very well-to-do neighborhood. Okay. Especially in this century. So darkest Knightsbridge is a bit of a contradiction. Just because even though it's it's dark, like it's still safe? Yeah, it's also, you know, probably literally well lit. Yeah, right, right, right. So we have city backwards, darkest Knightsbridge. We have bruised machinery. 
which is another impossible term. You cannot bruise machinery because it's not flesh. And yet we have this bruised machinery. And the smoking haze of industry. Through the bruised machinery, the smoking haze of industry. That's almost the most direct phrase so far. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What is bruised machinery? What is that? Just like used, beat up? I interpret it that, in my mind, what that creates is an image of a kind of the machinery of a city or the machinery of an entire industrial complex humanized or anthropomorphized, oh. taking on a sense of a character and, yes, beat up and, and run down. Yeah, okay. So we have this setting of juxtaposed urban mm-hmm. environment that is also infused with this sense of more organic life, but it's all very kind of dark and, and run down. Mm-hmm. And in this environment, we see our characters so far are the narrator, because it, it is first person. We have Mr. Policeman, mm-hmm. and we have Mrs. Maggie. Mm-hmm. And presumably Mrs. Maggie is at home. It's his Mrs. Maggie, because he says another day with ball and chain. Presumably not Mrs. Maggie. The ball and chain, I'm, I'm thinking, is like the job. Okay. I do my time, and then... Oh, I see that smile. I know what you're saying. Okay, so he spends time with the wife. Then he leaves and goes to see Mrs. Maggie. Another day with Paul and Jane, I do my time at home again. Yeah, Mrs. Maggie, won't you come on over? Put me up to the power and all your love. I was not thinking that. I think, oh, okay. I think you were on the right track. Okay. I think another day with Ball and Chain is, is his time in the work, in the work mines. Right, In okay. the hamburger mines. And then home again. I no. think Mrs. Maggie might be Margaret Thatcher. Oh. Because that fits more into the list of characters that we have rather than My some gosh. random, you know, random married fling. We have a policeman. Right. You know, oh, I think we've done it, Nick. I think this is it. We have crime and punishment. Yeah. Law and order. Okay. A policeman. Yep. We have the haze of industry and bruised machinery and yeah. work and labor paired with Mrs. Maggie. Yep. A.K.A. Ma- Maggie Thatcher. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Love it. Who should I blame? The soldiers, the priest, the officers. Who's left to make the most from least? Oh, should I blame the officers on me behind? I should blame the priest. Should I blame the poor foot soldier who's left to make the most from least? And then references Jack the Ripper. Hey, Jack the Ripper, won't you come on over? Put me up that almost feels like if politics isn't going to sort it out, if economics isn't going to sort it out, if law and order isn't going to sort it out, we may as well just die. Yeah, right. Resort to a serial killer. Right. Yeah. And then in the end, I think is the last verse is where it gets really interesting. You can blame the newsman talking at you on the satellite TV. If you're fighting for your shipyards, you might as well just blame the sea. You can blame the newsman talking at you on the satellite TV. If you're fighting for your shipyards, you might as well just blame the sea. Hey, Mr. Weatherman, come on over. Oof, that's fascinating. I think he's suggesting don't kill the messenger. If you're in a position where you're worried about the weather destroying something, like your shipyards. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can blame... The news reports, you can blame the weatherman, but actually you should be blaming the sea. Well, I think what he's saying is you might as well just blame the sea is you get the same result whether you blame the sea or the weatherman. Exactly. Neither of them, there's no consequence to that. So Right, right, yeah. right. And if you're fighting for your shipyards, is that just like concern for the ships in, in a bad storm? Yeah, I mean, a shipyards is where you build ships. Mm. So. Oh, yeah. So is it more like a union thing tying back to Maggie almost? I think that this is a lot of stuff tied to economics, Mm -hmm. laborers, the rights of laborers. I mean, I mean, obviously we're we're really just throwing darts at at a donkey. (laughs) I'm not allowed back at the petting zoo, Nick. No donkeys were harmed in the making of this episode because we missed every single time. (laughs) (laughs) Terrible, got terrible (laughs) aim. I'm really just trying to break down the themes that are that are present. Yeah. Just trying to tease those out to see if that can reveal anything. Mm-hmm. So that's my best guess is that those are the themes that we're playing with. And then there is a 
an appeal to each of these figures to either fix me, fix my life, jumpstart, or let me die. Don't let me keep suffering in this in-between space. Right. It's the power lines of your love, though. Mm-hmm. Is it a plea for compassion? You know, is that the love that he's going for? It could be. Although, if you're trying to get compassion out of a policeman, you might better get cheese from a brick. But I, I think that's the point. Right, right, right. You know, he is making this plea to, much like blaming the weatherman or the sea, you can put these pleas out to the policeman or to Maggie or Jack the Ripper, a, a historical figure, you know, and, and it's it's falling on deaf ears. It's in, in fact, it's probably falling on malicious ears. Yeah, that's true. So you're suggesting that it's almost a a Jesus turn the other cheek situation. Like, like, hey, I know you're not going to, but please give me some love. Yeah, I, I could use it. And, and if you don't, just end it. I don't know, put me in jail or, or yeah, I don't know. I think that jumpstart or turn me away is, I, I think that it is that sense of do something positive for me or put me out of my misery. Right, yeah, I, so, I, so I suppose that love is more, from what I can figure out, from what I interpret is that love is is like a compassion love, which we don't really hear much of from Ian. Another thought is that it's satirical or or in jest. Hook me up to the power of your love. Right. How does a policeman love the people that they interact with? How does does Margaret Thatcher love the people that her policies affect? Oh, their definitions of love. Yeah. It also reminds me of, there's a satirical song by the Clancy Brothers, or I know it from the Clancy Brothers, at least. They're an Irish singing group. Mm -hmm. And the song is all about... Dear Mother England. This is during the time when, you know, England was had essentially colonized Ireland. Yeah. And the song is all about, it's again, it's satirical from the Irish perspective saying, Oh, dear Mother England, we, we just want to be good little children for you to earn the love that you have so generously given us. Is it God bless England, probably? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think we have referenced this before. I think you have brought this up before. No, the whole business of Irish nationalism can get very serious if you're not careful. <laughs> but there is, there is a light side to it, fortunately. As most of you know, for about 800 years, Ireland was under the... the loving... <laughs> and tender care of the British Empire. And for this, needless to say, we're very, very grateful. <laughs> We like occasionally to sing a song of gratitude. It's called God Bless England. Oh, I'll tell you a tale of peace and love, back from the diddle of the died old day. Of the land that rules all lands above, back from the diddle of the died old day. May peace and plenty be her share, who kept our homes from want and care. Oh, God bless England is our prayer. Ha! On the diddle of the day-do-day. Ha! On the diddle of the day-do-day. So we say, hey, Come and listen while we pray. Whack on the diddle of the day-do-day. So that introduction was really exactly what I was referencing. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Everybody knows the joke and understands it. Right. There is a sense, you know, when you are interacting with figures of power, whether they are authoritarians or people rolling out justice or, you know, creating economic policies, there's often this line or this sense of, well, you know, we're doing it for your own good. Yeah. So I wonder if that's the power lines of your love. Oh, oh, power, power lines. They're people in power. (gasps) We did it. We did it, Nick. (laughs) Good night, everybody. Oh, my goodness. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah, so they have power. They have the ability to do this. It's all people who have power. Nick, I'm plugging into your power. Yeah. And what happens if you hook yourself up to an actual power line? Yeah. You get electrocuted. Yeah. Either you you jumpstart yourself, which is like, I guess, the positive. Like you you are jumpstarted. You've got the energy. Right. Or tow me away. The battery is dead or I am dead. Right. Wow. I mean, what a ballsy thing to say to a police officer. Look, officer, either... 
send me on my way and show me the directions to get home safely or fucking arrest me or shoot yeah. me, you know, kill me. Yeah. That's interesting. The imagery I can think of is, is the Vietnam protester who stuck the daisy in the, the National Guardsman's rifle. rifle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This first verse in the dark of the city backwards, something stirs, then slips away. Law and order and darkest night's bridge. Crime and punishment at play. Mr. Policeman, won't you come on, on over? Uh, it reminds me of an incident that I a run in with the with the place that I had in in Brooklyn. Very safe neighborhood in Brooklyn. I was living there. And at the time I was kind of a, a gentleman boarder <laughs> at, at a family's house. And I had free reign to come and go as I please, but you know, I did I just lived in a room upstairs. And one night I was coming back from a birthday party of a friend of mine quite late. And needless to say quite inebriated there you go yep yep and as i was stumbling my way across the street i saw an interesting fig tree that i wanted to go check out so i you know i kind of wandered <laughs> up this way and looked at that and then i wandered back down the street and you know finally made my way onto the block where i was living and all of a sudden there was this really bright light in my face you know, somebody had a, a high-powered flashlight and, and just stepped out from behind a car and clicked it on and stuck it right in my face and mm-hmm. i kind of stumbled back and Suddenly there were two police officers who were questioning me and they were like, where are you, where are you headed? Where are you coming from? What are you doing in this neighborhood? And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I live here. Yeah. Why does it matter? Yeah. I was like, I, I live right over there. And they're like, well, we need to see your ID. I was like, oh yeah, of course. I gave them my ID. And of course it had my address in upstate New York. And they were like, well, this says you live in Mexico, New York. Where even is that? And I was like, yeah, right. I was like, look, I'm renting a room here. I work here in New York City. That's my permanent address. And they're like, well, we're going to have to take a look in your bag. I had a big backpack with me. Then they asked me, are you aware that there have been a lot of burglaries in this neighborhood recently? Bullshit. No, but there had been was the thing. I take it back. (laughs) (laughs) Regular shit. (laughs) No, I'd been been aware, but I was like, yeah, I have heard that actually. I've seen the signs up and everything. And they were like, well, we're going to have to look in your bag. And at that moment, I started panicking because my bag was full of carpentry tools from a strike I'd been doing. So there was like a crowbar and a hammer and my work gloves. And I was like, okay, look, officer. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I mean, it went back and forth. But but at a certain point, I was like, I I had that feeling of like, look, if you're going to arrest me, just arrest me. Yeah. You know, we're going to. But please. Either way, just get the light out of my face and, like, let's move on to the next part, whether that's letting right. me go to bed or taking me right. to, to prison. Yeah. Ruin the economy or give me money. Yeah. Let me have a working job or let us all just die. Yeah. Don't have us living in poverty while also giving us the false hope of saying everything's going to get better. Yeah. We did it. We did it. We did it. It might be wrong, but we came I'm up with an interpretation. Sure, we'll get an email. <laughs> wow, it's just wow. Like going from the cognitive dissonance of going from like, oh, this is a love song, and like not really paying attention to the lyrics to like breaking it down like this. Whew! What an eye opener. I've got a lot of uh, velvet mondegreens in here. Oh yeah. Is it a bear? Is he shaking his hair? Is it Velvet Mondegreen? Should I blame the poor foot soldier? I'd always heard that as, should I blame the four foot soldier? As in a soldier who's four feet tall? <laughs> or who has four feet. Or who has, yeah, a quadruped soldier. Yeah. They can go twice as fast. I'd also always heard, if you're fighting for your ship. Oh. Which kind of was like, oh yeah, like if you're a, a sea captain or a pirate. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Those are my two velvet Montegreens. I guess the last thing I want to talk about is, should I blame the officers or should I blame the priest? Should I blame the poor foot soldier who's left to make the most from least? Mm. These people clearly have it better off than I do. Where I live is kind of shitty, but officers in the army or officers in the police probably have it fairly decent priests have respect and have it decent and the foot soldier it's the idea of leaving your terrible life here and going to do something else even just to get out of this place war is better than this place right i mean the poor foot soldier i definitely see as someone who both has power because he has a weapon 
Right. But also is the lowest rank. A grunt, yeah. And is, like you said, it's, it's somebody who is a victim of this system, somebody who can only pay for their way out with their life, essentially. Right. So should I blame that person who has made a hard decision for themselves and is now, you know, has a gun down my throat? Yeah. All the way down. We decided it wasn't a romance song I can, moment. I can, I can fit an entire bayonet down here. <laughs> Let me just unhinge my jaw. <laughs> oh, God. And I think that that is sort of the exception in this list of people that proves the rule. Yeah. Oh, but also, people in real positions of power will often pit people in positions of no power against each other. Sure. Absolutely. Because then they can't band together to overthrow the asshole in power. Should I blame the soldier for the war? No. You should blame the government for the war. Yeah. (laughs) The soldier is just trying to, you know, get enough money to get their grandma out of cancer poverty. (laughs) That's the worst kind of poverty. It's, It's bad. Yeah. That's more of an American thing in Britain. At least at this time, they still had the NHS. Whew. Nick, anything else to say about Jumpstart? No. No. Thank you for giving that a lot of consideration. Really, really needed to make sure I didn't. No, I, it's, it's just, it's really eye-opening. It's not as fun and silly a song as, as I've grown up expecting it to be yeah. or, or interpreting it as. But I do love it. I mean, I, I love this interpretation of it. I think that you realizing that power lines were literally power lines. Lines of power, yeah. Like social and political power. I think that was yeah. one of your most brilliant moments <laughs> on this earth. I appreciate that. I think I've only ever had one other epiphany that just like floored us and... And I'll take it. If it's once a once every two years, I'll take it. That revelation is going to go on the top of my Yule tree as the star. <laughs> Just power lines. Yeah. Live power lines. Yeah. Yeah. That tree is incinerated. <laughs> Water it daily. Nick, what are we talking about next week? Oh, goodness me. Next week, as mentioned earlier, we're going to go into something a little softer and sweeter and officially more sultry. We're going to talk, she said she was a dancer. Yes, we will. Mm, She did say that. Yes, she she? did. We don't have talk tall to me, Brandon, ball and chains for you, or balls and chain, I suppose, I'm afraid. But there really is a wide selection of merch that you can get with a variety of silly designs on them. So why don't you check out the Public link that is in the show notes and see for yourself. If you're tired of blaming the newsman talking at you on the satellite TV, why don't you take a break and come over to our Discord chat, which you can access for a mere $5 a month with inflation... That's hardly anything. Thanks, Maggie. You know, I'm going to be honest. I do blame the priest for not giving us a five-star rating and review. Please don't make me blame you as well. (laughs) Until next week, you might as well just tow me away because I'm Nick McGill. I am the Smoking Haze, Omen Thomas Said. And we are the Bruised Machinery, the Feckless Momes. And this is Crime and Punishment at Play. Talk tall to me. Welcome back to Channel 4 News. It is now your weather break, and we are going to kick it over to meteorologist Ben McKinley. Ben, what are you seeing on the weather forecast for tonight? Well, Chet, I am afraid that there is a threat of snow this evening. Oh, snow threatening the good people of the East Coast. That's right. That's right. Put on your parkas, get those shovels warmed up, and don't forget your long underwear. There will be at least two inches of snow. Prepare yourselves. Two inches, I can already hear the good citizens 
of Fort Wayneington fighting for their lives as those two inches come their way. Now, um, what are we looking at for the weekend, Ben? Oh, I'm afraid it will just get darker and darker. We will see partly cloudy weather tomorrow with a slight chance of snow flurries. And of course, you should lock yourselves away for at least 12 hours of that day so you do not risk your life. Ben, I think the question on all of our minds is how can we go on living with this threat of slightly cloudy skies blocking out God's own beautiful orange sun? How can the good people of this city simply go on I wish I had good news for you, Chet, but the following day, Sunday, is going to be no clouds in the sky at all. It will be sunny. All of that snow will be melted. There will be floods in basements. Yards will get soggy. People will get melanoma. Sweet baby Jesus. It is truly an invasion of solar rays onto the good Christian nation of this East Coast. People are going to have to get their weapons ready, and by weapons I mean parasols. They're going to have to ready their ammunition, by which I mean SPF 50, and there may be no survivors. It could be the end of all humanity. Now, Ben, I don't want to alarm anyone, but I am observing that after the Sunday sunny day, we in fact do return to Monday. What fresh hell awaits us on the weather on Monday? Well, it's basically as if the theory of the dinosaur's extinction were all rolled into one. We will have cataclysmic volcanic snow raining down upon us, meteors of snowflakes in conjunction with that volcano. Honestly, I don't see how, if we have made it this far, I don't see how we'll survive. I'm seeing that that low pressure zone is really of biblical proportions uh, moving up along the the Interstate 12, which we can assume by that point will be completely washed away. And now I'm getting angry calls in from uh, from a lot of our listeners saying that we are terrifying them. And to them I say, good, you should be terrified. Not of us. Be aware, but don't blame me. I am just a weatherman. Don't blame the weatherman. He does not in fact create the weather. We have had multiple series on the fact that weathermen no longer sacrifice any animals in order to affect the weather that has been deemed unchristian. Oh, 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 Ben. What is it, Chet? Chet, tell me. I'm just getting this in, Ben. There is a slight breeze here in the office. Oh, oh, dear God. Dear God, someone's left a window a half an inch open. I, this may be my last report. Without a sweater, I don't see how we'll go on. I'm getting a small goosebump on my lower back. Chet, it was an honor to work with you. And I I want you to know I've always loved you. Ben, before I get blown away by this gentle zephyr, I just want you to know one thing. Your hair is an inspiration to all weathermen everywhere. And secondly, let the good people know that Talk Tall to Me is a proud member of the Feckless Moms Audio Network. I said it! Squeaky, 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 squeaky. The the, the chair? The the office chair just (laughs) lightly rolling. (laughs) 